Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, those watching online. Uh, uh, welcome. Uh, glad to be here this morning. Looking forward to getting a message uh, this morning. Uh, we're talking about being established in righteousness. Uh, just before I get into that, um, let me just make a couple of announcements real quick. We just basically have our, <coughs> for the most part, our normal announcements. We do have a movie night coming up in three weeks on the 29th. It's leap year this year. So the 29th of February at 7 o'clock, I believe it is. Yes, 7 o'clock here. Uh, we'll be showing God with us. It's a theological uh, production by Karen's Bible College. And we'll be showing it on DVD form here. Um, but it's a very powerful, powerful message. And very excellent uh, Broadway quality production. Um, anyway, uh, feel free to join us that night. And we'll be making more announcements as we get go forward. But if you're in the neighborhood, if you're in our local room, we encourage you to make plans to join us for that night. We have a regular Bible uh, study tonight here at 6 o'clock, and on Saturdays we have it in Pasadena at 7.30. Tonight is on A Better Way to Pray, and on Saturdays is on Spirit, Soul, and Body. Both are very powerful, uh, intimate in the sense of like with like-minded fellowships, uh, uh, fellowship and uh, uh, we just have a powerful time together being in the Word and fellowshipping, ministering and praying with one another on both, uh, both evenings. Uh, we have our Bible classes free online. It's free registration, free classes, go at your own pace. Uh, but you're not on your own in the sense that we will interact with you along the way. And so but feel free to go on our website at myhousediscipleship.org and get to our Bible classes pages and we will walk you through the process of getting on board with that. We encourage everyone to do that. I believe everyone should go to Bible college and uh, we are quite picky about which Bible colleges there are. We're not a college, we're a church, but we are here about discipling people and there are some Bible colleges, colleges we do encourage and we do endorse. Um, but uh, um, anyway, we think everyone should get grounded in who they are in Christ. And if you're here local and you're here and you're busy working like most of us are, uh, we encourage you to take advantage of being on our, our free Bible classes. Uh, why would you not want to get more grounded in the Word and get established in who you are in Christ and being equipped in His Word so you can fulfill your destiny, whatever that destiny is? And so uh, I'd ask for our heart behind all that. So I encourage you to, to take advantage of that. Um, anyway, so let's get back let's get into the Word this morning. We're talking to begin about being established in righteousness. And this is my most favorite message I believe the Lord has given me and, uh, uh, and what the revelation God has given me and I'm, I'm hoping to convey that to you. We are in our fourth lesson, our fourth part this morning. But I, as I told you from the beginning, I've broken up this whole series into six segments. Um, and we are going to get into that third segment this morning. We took uh, two weeks on the second segment the last two weeks. And we talked about being, first of all, uh, uh, the unity of the faith, and that there's one message, and uh, the gospel, and the gospel of this message reveals the righteousness of God. We talked the last two, week, two weeks about the subtitle about being established in righteousness, which is actually the main title, but we spent a lot more time on just this concept of what righteousness is. And being established in it. And we're going to be con continuing that thought through all the segments because that's really the, the, the main title of this message. 
Today we're going to be looking at righteousness too, but we're going to be looking at it from another angle about being established in the fullness of his love. Now this message, at the beginning of it anyway, or this beginning of this segment of this series, will sound very much like our teaching that we did just a little while ago. Uh, uh, it will be a shorter version of that teaching on being established in our Father's love. Because it's, the same, it's basically the same message. But I'm going to be teaching it from a righteousness standpoint. That's going to be the focus. Am I making sense? I'm not going to be so much talking about love, even though I will be. I'll be talking about righteousness. And so there's just a little different element, uh, but a, a, a focus uh, where I, I, I draw my attention to. But it's, it's basically the same message about being established in our Father's love. In other words, I don't think you can distinguish the two. You can't separate the two. Uh, and we'll get into that in just a moment, okay? Uh, and then we'll have some other segments as we go forward, and I'll talk about those later as we get closer to those, okay? So uh, we're about halfway through uh, uh, with this message. I don't know if I'll finish everything I have today in this segment. So anyway, here we are. Let's go ahead and get into the Word this morning. Let's turn in your Bibles, if you have them with me, to First John chapter 3. First John chapter 3. And again, I'll be in the New King James translation I use. First John chapter 3, and we'll begin with verse 1. And John writes and says, Behold, what manner of love the Father <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. I'm going to stop right there for a moment. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. First of all, I'm not using the right emphasis on this uh, section because most of your translations will, will in the middle of the verse will end with an explanation mark. So John is exclaiming what he just said. He's emphasizing it. That making sense? And it says, behold. That word behold is a, a very powerful word. We're gonna spend, we spent some time last week on the word behold. And we'll spend some more time going forward on this word behold. Behold means to see with the mind. It doesn't mean just to glance at something, it means to gaze upon it. We need to focus our attention. I mean, you know, there's some things that we don't need to focus our attention on, and there's some things that we need to focus our get attention on. We need to get our eyes off the storm, and we need to get our eyes on Jesus. We need to get our eyes off the problem and get our eyes on the solution. We need to get our eyes off of fear, things that are causing fear, and we need to get our eyes on the things that bring faith. Does that make sense? But we need to behold. <coughs> Excuse me. And it says, behold, what manner of love. That phrase, what manner of love, or what manner, it means that something foreign to the elements. That's what the word means. And that's, that can be kind of confusing. What does that mean? <laughs> you know? And the, one way I like to picture this, as is, is, is I've shared this before, is that if, if, you, can, if you can just picture the, the Arctic, or the Antarctica, and I don't know, I've never been there. My wife and I would like to go see it somewhere uh, uh, in the future. But we have never been there. But my imagination of the Arctic is it's icy. It's snow. It's white. There's penguins and polar bears and all those uh, uh, beautiful creatures. 
but at the same point in time, it's icy, it's cold, okay? But in the middle of this Antarctica, or Arctic, is this, if you can just imagine with me, a rose or a flower. I don't know about you, but if I saw something a flower, a rose, growing in the middle of the Arctic, it is foreign to its elements. And there would be this, this uh, um, response for me, what manner of flower is this that it would grow in the middle of such, in, this, in, the, in the, these conditions? Are you following with me? What I'm trying to, to illustrate uh, with that. We need to behold what manner of love the, the Father has, not going to, but has already bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. This love that God has bestowed on us, our Father has bestowed on us, it, it, it love has given us the capacity and the, 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 the right, the heritage, to call ourselves children of God. And it's foreign to this world. It's not natural. It's supernatural. It's not natural. It's spiritual. What is born of flesh is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is spirit. We thank God for our natural parents and our natural heritage, but we have a heritage in Christ. We just spent a whole se series, 10 lessons, 10 hours, on talking about who we are in Christ, in Christ's realities. And we, children, we, church, we, brethren and sisters, we need to behold what manner of love the Father has already bestowed upon us that we should be called His children. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Skip down to verse 2 real quick. It says, Beloved. <coughs> I, love that I love that word. Beloved. Paul says that we are accepted in the Beloved. And how many of you know that John, who wrote this book, is called the disciple that Jesus loved? You know where you're going to find all five accounts where, where, Paul, where John is described as the disciple that Jesus loved? You're going to find it in the book of John. John wrote it about himself. John said, described to his readers that he was a disciple that Jesus loved. From one perception, you can think John's being a little arrogant about this. But, but, but my perception is John had a revelation that Jesus loved him. And we need to all have that perception that God loves us. Our Father loves us. We need to behold <coughs> what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. We are as in Christ Jesus. There's 300 scriptures talking about who we are in Christ, and one of those scriptures is talking about that we are accepted in the Beloved. We need to see ourselves as the Beloved of God. We need to see one another as the Beloved of God. Beloved is now. When's now? When's now? Now's now. Now we are. It doesn't say we will be. We can be. We should be. We are children of God. Beloved, we are children of God. Beloved, we are children of God. I'm trying to get that instilled in us. We need to behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Because behold, beloved, we are now the children of God. 
Are you following me so far? Okay? It's as simple as that. We make it complicated. But it's as simple as that. And it has not yet been revealed when we shall be, but we know that when He, Jesus, God, is revealed, we shall be like Him, <coughs> for we shall see Him as He is. That is profound. When He is revealed... We will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. How do we become like God? It's like father, like son. We're children of God. We're to behold what matter the Father has bestowed upon us, his love that he's bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. We are born of God. And he's our father. And when we behold who we are and who we come from and who we're born of, we shall be like him, but we'll see him as he is. How do you become more like Jesus? How do you become more like God? Behold who he is. If your perception of who God is is wrong, then you will become whatever your perception of God is like. That make sense? We need to have a healthy, we need to be, have an accurate, we need to have a wholesome, healthy view of who God is. And when we see him, we will become like him, for we see him as he is. We are the righteousness of God in him. I'm talking about this, and we're, getting, we're going to get some verses here in just a moment. But we're talking about righteousness. We're talking about being established in righteousness. And part of being established in righteousness is being established in his love. In the fullness of his love. In other words, let me just take another step. Part of being established in righteousness is being established in our sonship, our daughtership, our that we are children of God. Are you following me? With me? Okay, skip uh, turn with me to uh, chapter four. First John chapter four. And we're going to come back to chapter 3 in a little while if we get there today. And I want to share some things towards the end of the chapter. But we're going to skip down to chapter 4 for now. And, um, yeah, okay. Just looking at my notes here. Make sure that's where I want to go. Chapter 4, verse 7. Verse John 4, 7. And again, we have that word, Beloved. Beloved. Let us love one another. For love is of God. Say that with me. Love is of God. Love is of God. Say it again. Love is of God. Love is of who? God. Love is of who? God. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God. Say that with me. We're born of God. We're born of God. We are born of God. Love is of God, and we are born of God and know God. Are you following me again this morning? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. We are children of God. We will be like him when we see him as he is. And if we are born of God and we're like him because we see him as he is, then we are going to love one another. Because everyone who's born of God, 
Everyone who knows God is going to be like him, and that is he loves one another. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believeth in him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. Go down to verse 8. It says, For he who, <coughs> he who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Say that with me. God is love. Say it again. God is love. God is love. You can't know love without knowing God. And you can't know God without knowing love. God is love. And love is of God. And we are born of God. That means we're also born of love. We're born of God. We're born of love. Are you following me so far? And then he goes on to say in verse 9, In this the love of God was manifested towards us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. That we might live through him. God sent his Son not only to make us right with God, but he made us right with God so that he could live his life through us. God can't live his life through us, the temple of the Holy Spirit, that has been bought with a price. He can't live his life through us, these, these uh, jars of clay, these vessels of honor, unless we are born again, and as we were talking about a few weeks ago, that in him we, he is our wisdom, he is our righteousness, he is our sanctification, and he has redeemed our redemption. God has sanctified us. He has redeemed us. He has made us righteous, and he has manifested his love towards us that he might live his life through us. How do you love one another? Because you become like him when you see him like he is. And you, how do you love one another? Because he, not you, lives his life through you. Paul said it this way in Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but the life I live, I live by the faith of God, by the love of God. I live by faith. And, and let me go there real quick. I'm chopping it up. Excuse me. Galatians 2.20. We'll come back to where we were. I'm not done there. And we have been good by Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who what? Loved me. There's that love again. And gave himself for me. We live our life by the faith of God, who loved us and gave himself for us. We can't throw love out of the equation. And actually, we'll get into this a little bit later, but since I'm here, Galatians 5, 6 says that faith works by love. Faith, your faith in the Son of God cannot work without knowing His love. We're going to spend time with, with this as we go forward. <coughs> but let's go back to where we were. Verse 10. Verse John 4.10. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our 
sins. That's my key verse for this morning. That's my key verse for what we're talking about this morning. John said, God, John, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, defines what love is. Yes, love is of God. Yes, God is love. And that should be enough definition for us. But let's go a step further. Love, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and became our propitiation. That word propitiation we're going to spend a little time on this morning. Because that's really what we're talking about when we're talking about righteousness. Okay, he, propitiation means he was our substitute. He was our sacrifice. He was our worthy Lamb of God. It also means this, that, that he was, it's because of his sacrifice, our, his sacrifice was satisfying. It was satisfying to God. It was satisfying. To, it was satisfactory to the law. For him to become our propitiation. We are making sense with that. It was because if it wasn't satisfied, it wasn't if it wasn't sufficient, we of all men are most miserable. We have no hope. But he was he it was accepted and it was satisfactory. But this is love. In other words, I'm gonna make a statement that will sound very foreign to our religious philosophies. But I don't care so much how much you love them. I'm more focused on, I'm more concerned about how much you know that he loves you. You can't love God. You can't love yourself. You can't love one another until you first know his love for you. And I'm not just talking about theologically. I've said this before, you know, some people say, I've heard people say through the years, I already know God loves me. Let's get to the good stuff. This is the good stuff. And the, the fact that someone would have that attitude, I already know God's love. I know that. I know God loves me. The fact they said it with that connotation, the fact that they said it with that attitude, they don't know it yet. You cannot know God's love and have that response. I've used this illustration before. Have you ever tried to have one potato chip? You have a potato chip, you have a bag of chips. Have you ever tried to have one? And even if you restrained yourself because you had strong temperance and strong self-control because your diet or your, your spouse or your mom or someone was watching you make sure you only had one, you still wanted another one. Because once you tasted that salt, once you tasted that flavor, that potato chip, you wanted another one. Even if you restrained yourself, you still wanted more. Am I following? Are you following with me? Okay. You can't know of God's love, and I'm not just talking about knowing about His love. I'm talking about experiencing His love. To know, to be intimate. It's the same word to know His love. It's the same word that Mary used when He said to Gabriel, the angel, How can this be since I've never known a man? Just talk about intimacy. He's talking about experiencing. I don't just know about my wife. I know my wife. You know, and so and so and, and there's different people I know on different levels because of the different levels of relationship that we have. But and this is us, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to become our propitiation. Beloved, if God, if God 
so loved us, we also have to love one another. Yes, we ought to. But we do not have the capacity to until we first see him as he is. Until we first see his love. Until we first behold what man of love the Father has bestowed upon us. That we understand that we go up love is our God and we are born of God. Am I making sense this morning? Uh, we're going to come back to some things here in First John, but uh, I want to spend a little bit of time on this word propitiation, that he has become the propitiation for our sins, because this word, this phrase, uh, it has a lot to do with righteousness, and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about being established in righteousness. But love, this is love, not that we love him, but he loved us and became the propitiation for our sins. In other words, his propitiation is the definition of love. His mercy at the cross is his love for you. That makes sense. Okay. With that, let's use, go through a couple of scriptures real quick. Since we're in First John, let's go to First John chapter 2. It's not the main one I want to go to, but uh, it's, uh, we're here, so let's, let's tackle this one. Let's start with verse 1. It says, My children, little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if one sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he, Jesus himself, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Again, this is really just uh, echoing what we were just reading already. But Jesus Christ is our propitiation. God, through Christ, became our propitiation. Are we following? Not just for our sins, but also for that of the entire world. Again, go with me to Romans chapter 3. And we'll pick it up in verse 20. And I'm gonna, I think I'm going to talk over the King James... King James, Romans 3, verse 20. It says, Paul writes, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for the law is the knowledge of sin. Let me just stop there for a moment. You know, when we talk about righteousness, what do we mean? What's righteousness? Righteousness is, I always thought, uh, thought it was righteousness was right doing. No, righteousness is, a, is not a verb, it's a noun. And it means right relationship. It means right standing with God. And we, in other words, the word justified or justification is the exact same word as righteousness. We are not justified or we are not declared righteous because of what we do. We're declared righteous because of what he did, being our propitiation. That makes sense? Because when we're talking about being established in righteousness, we're talking about being established that we are in right relationship with God. We are justified in right relationship with God because of what God did. Now, because we are righteous, we live righteous. So there is a there is an element that we. I'm not saying we don't live righteously. I'm not saying that we are righteous now. We can live any way we want to. No, that's not Bible. That is in that is incorrect. We don't become righteous by what we do, but because we are righteous, we live righteous. Because that's who we are. Why? Because he's righteous. 
And when we, be, when we see him as he is righteous, we will become like him because we see him as he is. And he's righteous. He does right. He does righteousness. He does no evil. It says in Zephaniah, Zephaniah, he can do no evil. Not only that, he's righteous, and we will become like him righteous because we see him as he is. And as he does righteousness, so will we. Am I, make, am I making sense? We, but we don't get there. We don't originate there. We don't become righteous by what we do. The law is still holy and good. We still obey the law not to become righteous. We obey the law because it's still holy and good. We still don't murder people. We still don't commit adultery. We still don't care, bear false witness. We still love the Lord our God. But Dave, Pastor, you just said that we're not, I don't care how much you love God. That, and, 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 and the, I said that in the connotation of priorities. My focus is that you know God's love, and if you know God's love and see His love, you will be loved. Because you like Him, you're born of God. But don't put your focus on what you do. Put your focus on who you are in Him. And He in you will be loving and righteous. The grace of God teaches us denying godliness. Denying ungodliness needs to be taught. It's not just automatic. Yes, it's from the inside out. Yes, it's because we're born again, not a corruptible seed, but an incorruptible seed. But we need to be taught who we are. We need to be whole. We need to, to have a relationship with Him. We need to abide in Him so that He can teach us and live His life through us, which is righteous, which is godly. Am I making sense? It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 34, Awake to righteousness and sin not. It doesn't say sin not to become righteous. It says awake, be awakened, come to the revelation of who you are, righteousness. And sin not. The grace of God, <coughs> the righteous of God, the mercy of God has set us free from sin so that we can be free not to sin. He's not, we're not being free from sin and then go back into the bondage that we just got free from. No, we are free. That doesn't make sense. You don't get out of jail just so you can be free to go back to jail. That doesn't make any sense. You are free from sin so you can live a life free. I have my own addictions and hang-ups. And I tried in my own power to break those. And the more I tried, the worse it got. And I was miserable. But when I finally understood how the righteousness of God in Him, it gave me the antidote, it gave me the power and the ability of Christ in me to be free. And I've been free ever since. Not to sin, but free from sin. That makes sense. Because the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. The law reveals what's wrong with you, but the, the gospel reveals what's right with you because of Jesus. And now that you are right, now that we're born into victory, we're not trying to get victory, we're born into it. We start from the place of victory now, and, and if you read the book of Ephesians, Paul talks in the first three chapters about who we are in Christ, and in the last three chapters, he talks about how we walk that out. Because we are the child of God, because we are born again, and I'm paraphrasing, now we can walk that out. We can live that out, because we know who we are. That makes sense. That's powerful. You can't, you can't live how, who you are if you don't even know who you are. It doesn't work that way. You've got to know who you are, and then you change the way you believe, you change the way you think, you change the way, as a man thinks, so is he. <coughs> Am I making sense? 
Let's go back to the text here, verse 21. But now, and I always say this, when is now? Now is now. It's not tomorrow, it's not later, it's not yesterday. But now, <coughs> but now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, not going to be, but is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now we're going to spend a whole section on this a little bit later. Because this is deep, and it sounds a little confusing. How can we not be righteous by the law, but this, this whole righteousness as well as the law that is manifested is witnessed by the law? Paul, you're talking out both sides of your face. No, when we study this, and we will in a few weeks, we'll, we'll, we'll spend a little more time on this. But for now, let's go forward. Even the rights of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon them that believe, well, there is no difference. Or again, we'll spend more time on this later. Verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, most of my life, I, I've heard this verse, I've memorized this verse, and I never was taught verse 24, but it's the same sentence. And so many times I was taught this, when I taught that this is the gospel. This is not the gospel. There's no good news. It's true. It's factual. Yes, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Even if you've never committed a sin, and you have, but even if you never have, even the fact that you're born from Adam into sin, because this word sin, it, anyway, I, I, I'll save that for later. For all have sinned, even if you didn't sin, commit a sin, the fact that you were born in Adam, born in sin, you sinned. Am I making sense? I'm just going to keep it simple for now. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Be, but I want to read it in its context. I want, if you're going to quote the guy, quote the guy. Quote the whole sentence. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, true, being justified. Freely, by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. You know, again, this word, this phrase, justified, is the same word for righteousness. In other words, you can say, being declared righteous, being justified. How? Freely. It didn't, it, it didn't cut, you know, it's free for us. But it costs him everything. It, but it's given to us freely. It's given to us unmerited by his grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says that he has become our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. He has redeemed us. He is our redeemer. And he has redeemed us so that he can live his life through us. We are the temple. We have been purchased. God has invested himself into you so that he can live his life through you. And he did that by his love. Am I making sense this morning? Who? Because he's going to expand. There's a colon right here. This redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom? So he's talking about Christ. This whom is talking about Jesus. 
whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, and there's a colon, that he might be just, or righteous, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believeth. And I like the King James, because whenever you see the F on the end, it means to believe and continue to believe in this definition of word. It's an ongoing thing. We don't just believe one time, we keep believing. And we, uh, the, the gospel is it reveals a righteous God from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith. <coughs> go with me. I know I'm trying to go in here, but go with me real quick. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. It says, As ye therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. The same way you receive Christ. Did you receive Christ because you had it all together? Or did you receive Christ because you needed a Savior? The law was given to show us that we need a Savior. In the same way, as ye therefore received Christ Jesus, is the same way you walk in Him. Should we be walking in the light as He is in the light? First John talks about that. Had we not been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son? Should we not walk as children of the light? Paul talks about this in Ephesians. We need to walk as children of light. Why? Because we are already in the light. The same way we receive Christ is the same way we walk in him. If you study this word walk out, it also means to abide. We abide in him, his word abides in us. We are abiding in Him. We'll, get, we'll spend more time on this when we go back to verse John in a few moments. We'll still walk in Him. But even if we didn't know that, there's a colon. I love these colons. Because He's going to expound on what walking in Him looks like. The same way we see Christ, we're going to walk in Him. How does that look like? Well, He's going to explain you. I love it when, when He gives you a question or gives you a, a, a directive, but then He tells you how to do it. He's telling us that we are to walk in him the same way that we received him, but then he's going to expound on what walking in him looks like, because there's a colon right there. Being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. How do you walk in him? How do you walk in him the same way you receive Christ is you walk by being rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. We're talking about being established in righteousness. Specifically this week, we're talking about being established in the fullness of love. Faith works by love. You can't be established in faith without being established in love. Faith has everything to do with trust. 
and relying on. Can you trust anyone that you don't know that loves you? It's hard to trust anyone. You know, one of the key ingredients to any relationship is trust. And when I know someone loves me, I can trust them. And am I making sense? They work by love. But going back to where we were here in Romans chapter 3, let me read verse 26 again. To declare, I say at this time, it is righteousness that we might be just and a justifier of him who believes in Jesus. We need to believe in Jesus. Am I making sense this morning? Let's go to back to verse John, chapter 4, verse 10. Herein is love. I mean the King James versus the New King James, but herein is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be our propitiation. We need to have faith in His love. Faith works by love. And when we do this, we will be like Him when we see Him as He is. When we behold the matter of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. We will be like Him when we see Him as He is. Because love is of God. Love is, love is God. We're born of God. And we are, will love one another. We will love Him. We, all of the commandments are hinged on two commandments. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself. It's all based on love. But we cannot love until we first receive His love. And Paul says this in Romans, that if, if we love one another, we have fulfilled the law. Am I making sense? So many people think I'm teaching against law. No, I'm teaching for law. But we, how do we fulfill the law? By loving one another. How do we love one another? Receiving His love. Being born again. Being like Him. Beholding what manner the love the Father has bestowed upon us. And everything I'm describing about love, because here in His love, that He became our propitiation. He became our righteousness. Are you seeing the connection between propitiation and righteousness? Are you seeing the connection for love and righteousness? Are you seeing that? Am I painting that picture? Let's see some more verses and scriptures here. Let's go to uh, or 1 John chapter 4. Let's go to verse 16. Scroll down with me. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to, to, to us. And actually, you know what? Let me get back to the um, New King James here. Just a little easier reading. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. Again, this phrase, God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. There's three things I can point out here real quick. First of all, we have known and believed. You know, it's not enough to just know that God loves you. Without, We need knowledge, though. Without knowledge, the people perish. We need knowledge. We need knowledge. But we also need to believe what we know. It does no good, in one sense of the word, that just know that God loves you. Yes, we need to know it. You can't believe something you don't know. Okay? So we need to know it. But we need to believe what we know. And I, I there's a lot of people, and I'm not here to put anyone down, and there's been times I've been in the same, same, same place as well. We know God loves us. 
but I, I can hear it. I can hear it by how they talk and how they're believing. They don't believe what they know. That makes sense? It's possible not to believe what you know. Because you're not making it. I know the times in my life, I know the times in other people's life, they're not making their decisions based on the knowledge of believing God loves them. They're basing their decisions based on fear. Fear, fear and love cannot coexist. It's the same way that oil and water cannot coexist. Fear and love cannot coexist. But he says God is love, and we talked about that. But he also says, he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. There's that word abide that I was just talking about a minute ago in, second, in Colossians 2, verse 6. We're talking about walking him. Our focus, my, my heart, and we're talking about being established in righteousness, but also specifically being established in his love. My heart is that you are focused and put your energy in knowing him and believing his love for you. And the more you do that, the more you will be established in righteousness, and the more that he will live his life through you, and your faith will be united. If you focus on abiding in him, and abiding in love. You can't abide in God without abiding in love. And you can't abide in love without abiding in God. So put your focus. Put your energy. On having a relationship with your God. We're not that. We're, we're, we're not God for you. Yes we need to have a relationship with the body of Christ. And yes everything we try to do in this church. Is to help you. Have a relationship with God. We're not the answer. God is. But our job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ. If you study that out, it means my job is to equip you for the ministry of ministering to one another. And we can't love one another until we first know His love. But my job, ordained by God, is to equip you for the work of the ministry of loving one another. But you can't do that until you know, and our, our, we all come to the unity of the faith, to the stature of the fullness of Christ. That makes sense. Let's go to verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Love has been perfected. How does love become perfected? <coughs> I believe, and there's an answer right here in verse 17, but before I get to that answer, I believe that as we know and believe God's love for us, our love will, our love will become perfected. Does that make sense? You can't have, your love cannot be perfected if you don't know and believe His love for you. But he also says this, that love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Hmm. What does that mean? Well, what's judgment? You know, there's a couple of different ways I can look at this. But the first way I want to look at is God's judgment of us. I know that when I stand before God one day, God's not going to judge me. Why do I know that? Because he's already judged Jesus as my propitiation. I know that, and I believe that. Does that mean I can live any way we want to? No. One, I don't want to. Two, uh, that's not the way it works. I just talked about that. 
Okay? But I don't have boldness in the day of judgment because I know that I know that I know Jesus already was judged for me. God was not light on sin. God poured out his entire wrath on Jesus, your propitiation for you. So that the only thing he's going to pour out on you is love, mercy, and grace. That makes sense? We're going to come back here, but go with me uh, to First John chapter 3. Because how many of you know First John chapter 3 comes before First John chapter 4? So in other words, this is, this is a letter. It's in the same context. Start with verse 21. There's that word beloved again. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us. How many of you know if you have a condemning heart, that's a form of judgment? And we talked a few weeks ago that we're not under the ministry of condemnation and death. We are the ministry of righteousness in His Spirit. The ministry of reconciliation. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. Can you have confidence towards God if your heart condemns you? Can you have boldness in the day of judgment if your heart is condemning you? But is it possible to have a heart that does not condemn you? In other words, can you, is it possible that you can have a heart that, that, that you have confidence towards God? You could not have confidence towards God when you were in sin. Sin, flesh, and blood cannot coexist with the living God, with the holy. But in Him, He has become our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. We are the righteous God. God took the sin out of the way through Jesus so that we can be in right relationship with God. When Adam sinned, God didn't hide from Adam. Adam hid from God. Why? He didn't have confidence anymore. But Jesus took away our curse, took away our pain, so we could be in right relationship with God, so that we could have confidence towards God. The devil wants to judge you. He's out to kill, steal, and destroy. He's out to twist them, what God has already done, the same way he twisted Adam and Eve, saying that they weren't made in God's image. That they needed to become like God when God had already created them to be like God. And God has already made you the child of God. You will be like Him when you see Him as He is. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon you, that you should be called the children of God. If you abide in Him, you abide in God. But God is love. And the devil wants to trip you up, thinking that God is still mad at you. No, when love, your love is perfected, that you know and believe in love, that you're abiding in Him, God is love, you have boldness in the day of judgment. And you have confidence towards your God. And when you have confidence towards your God, and, and is a conjunction. You ever see those commercials? And there's more. Okay? And. So he, it, this is not a new thought. This is a conjunction what he just said. And whatever we ask, we receive. Whatever we ask, we receive. Why do we receive it from Him? And where do we receive it? From ourselves? No, from Him. Why? Because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing His sight. Uh-oh. <coughs> Wait a minute, Dave. Now you're talking law again. Now 
afraid of talking about performance. Because in our religious minds, that looks like performance. Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in sight, and most of us in our religious minds, we read that and we've already disqualified ourselves from receiving the thing that we asked for. We've already lost this confidence. And we are back under condemnation because we know we have not kept his commandments and pleasing in sight. And now we're, now we're back to square one. What? And this is New Testament. And I didn't say this job is. So get mad at John. But what is his commandment? Again, I like it when he makes a statement and he gives us the answer. And there was an and in verse 22. And this word and keeps showing up. It's here again in verse 23. And this is the commandment. And there's a calling. This is the commandment. If we keep this commandment, we have confidence towards God, and we receive one reaction because we keep this commandment, and we're pleasing to the sight. And what's the commandment? This is the commandment. That we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and there's another end. Man, this thing just keeps showing up. And love one another as He gave us commandment. This is the commandment. Love him and love one another. Or, let me say, rephrase that. To believe on his name and love one another. How do we love one another? Because we, we look at that and we go, I messed that up too. We become like him when we see him as he is. We love because he first loved us. Our love becomes perfected because we know and believe his love. We're abiding in him and God is abiding in us. We can't do this. We can't even do this, New Testament commandments, without knowing and believing his love for us. In the very next, it goes on, but, <coughs> and then this is in the same chapter when he says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Am I making sense this morning? We are in the New Testament, but we still have the New Testament commandments. I could tie all this, it's called the royal law of love. It's called the law of faith. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 4. Am I making sense? This should not be sobering, this should be liberating. Love has perfected among us in this that we have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Now, I've heard this so many different ways, and some, some of them I like, some of them I don't like so much. But I, got, I didn't see this before, but I saw this the other day as I was teaching on a men's group a couple weeks ago. But we've all, he just established the fact in this chapter, and even in the preceding verse, that God is what? Love. Right? The context is talking about God is love. And it's talking about the love of God and loving one another. But we shall be like him. I mean, without this too. We shall be like him because we see him. We'll be like him because we see him as he is, right? This is saying the exact same thing. Because as he is, so are we in this world. 
Now we can we can appropriate this to other aspects of God because that will be like him when we see him as he is. But the context is talking about God is love. He just established the fact over and over again that God is love. So as he is, which is love, so are we in this world, which is love. Am I making sense? I mean, that's the context. And the, the commandment is that we believe in his name and love one another. And how do we do that? Because we have been perfected among us. His love has been perfected among us. So that we have boldness in the day of judgment. We have confidence toward our God. So that we, everywhere we ask, we receive. Because we, as he is, so are we in this And when we get this revelation, I know we're talking a lot about love, but Jesus said we shall do whatever he did, we shall do. Because he goes to the Father. Because as he is, so are we in this world. And he goes on to say that therefore, there is no fear of love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. If you are fearing anything, don't take it. Don't, don't be concerned about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. For your heavenly Father knows that you need these. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. You know, there's a lot of different areas of fear. Fear of heights. Fear of failure. Fear of success. Other kinds of fears and phobias we have. But sometimes we, when the rubber meets the road, we just have a fear that God's going to meet our needs. That God's going to answer our prayers. But we can have confidence that whatever we ask, we receive. Because we believe in His name. And we love one another. And how do we love one another? Because as He is, so are we in this world. Am I making sense? How do we become like Him? His propitiation. How do we become like him? By when we see him, we'll be like him when we see him as he is. Am I making sense? I'm not making any of this up. I hope you can see. Appreciate it. How are we doing our time? Got a few minutes left. Let's go to Second uh, Corinthians five. Verse 14. All right. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but we're making a full circle back to, back to this point. For the love of Christ compels us. Let's stop right there for a moment. What's the love of Christ? We've been talking about it all morning. What's the love of Christ in its simplest form? I'm not going to reiterate everything I've taught in the last uh, several minutes. But this is love that we, he loved, not that we love him, but that he loved us and became our propitiation. In its simplest form, his love is his propitiation towards us, or for us. And this love, the love of Christ, compels us because we judge this. I mean, it means to come to this conclusion. We come to this judgment. We come to this conclusion that if one died for all as our propitiation, then all died. We died. And because that's true, fast forwarding, 
we regard no one according to the flesh. And because that's true, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. And because that's true, now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We talked about this. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. We just read a few moments ago from 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, that he became our propitiation, and not only for us, but for the whole world. God is reconciling. God has become the propitiation for the whole world, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. Why? He became our propitiation. He imputed all our trespasses to him as our propitiation. That's what that word means. And has committed us to the word of reconciliation. Now then, because he's reconciled us and has become in our propitiation, we are ambassadors for Christ as if God were pleading through us, and we are pleading with you as I'm trying to plead with you this morning through the words of Paul that we be reconciled to God in our own mind. We receive, we believe on his name. We believe and receive and know and believe his love for us. So that our love can be perfected. In the day of judgment, and that boldness, and confidence towards God, that whatever we ask, we receive. Be reconciled to God. He's already reconciled. He's already been making a propitiation. He's just, he's just and being the justifier of you to himself, if you will believe on his name. And this is the reconciliation. This is the reconciliation. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we I become, become the righteousness of God in him. Am I making sense this morning? That is reconciliation. That we need to be reconciled in him. Let's go read Ephesians chapter 3. We've been here already before, but let's go here again. Verse 14. In the prayer of Paul, he says, For this reason, verse 14, Ephesians 3, 14, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and who the whole family in heaven and earth is named. How many of you know we're in part of a family? And that family is not just earthly, but that family is also heavenly. That we, he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through what? Faith. We talked about faith this morning. That being established in faith. Faith works by love. That anyone who believes in him shall not perish. We need to believe, know and believe his love for us. We need to believe his propitiation. We need to believe in the Son of God who gave himself for us and died for us. Through faith that you be rooted and grounded in love. See how faith and love work together again? He wants to work, he wants to dwell in your hearts to the faith that you being rooted, you being established and grounded in this love. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints. How many of you know we're not just to comprehend it for ourselves? We're to comprehend it with all the saints. We are family. We are the body of Christ. My job is to equip you for the work of the ministry so that we can be a body knitted together. Not just in this church, but as the church of God. That makes sense. <coughs> what is the width and the length and the height, the full, the 
to experience the love of Christ, <coughs> which surpasses knowledge. It's not that this. It's not just that this knowledge, this experience, <coughs> excuse me, surpasses the knowledge, intellectual knowledge. His love surpasses knowledge. His love, his propitiation, surpasses knowledge. Yes, you know and believe his love towards you, but his love surpasses what you can even comprehend. You see that? Why? Why are we to know his love that surpasses knowledge? That you may be filled with the fullness of God. God wants to give you his fullness, folks. Yes, he already said in John 1, 14, I believe that's a verse, but in John chapter 1, he says that of his fullness we have received in grace for grace. If you have Christ, you have his fullness. But even though you have his fullness, you need to know it. You need to experience it. You need to believe it. And he didn't just fill you with his fullness, so you fill Holy Ghost goosebumps and get slain in the spirit. I'm not against some of those things. But that's not the goal. The goal is to be filled with the fullness of God so that he can live his life through you and heal the sick, raise the dead, transform life, cast out demons, that we can turn this world right side up, filled with the spirit of God. God wants to live his Life through you. And now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask. According to. According to what? His power that is working. And the King James would say worketh. Is continuing to work in us. His power is not just there. His power is to work. Just like a light bulb. It's supposed to turn on. It's supposed to generate power. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, to experience salvation to everyone who believes. And this gospel that is the power of God reveals his righteousness so that we can live from faith to faith, from glory to glory, from grace to grace, according to what power? What's this power that works in us? Well, we could go back to chapter 1, the same power to raise Christ from the dead. But we can just keep it in context of him talking about it's the fullness of God. You can't get any more powerful than the fullness of God. You can't get any more powerful than Christ being raised from the dead. And all that describes love. His propitiation. He's talking about knowing his love. Experiencing his love. And it's his love and when your heart doesn't condemn you, you have confidence for, before God. Not only do we have confidence before God, God's in us. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we can ask. Church, brothers, beloved, all of us are experiencing way low to what God has for us. And that's not a put down. I know I can. And I know you can. Be experiencing more than God has. Financially. Relationally. In every which way. 
because he's able to do exceedingly abundantly. And I don't know about you, but I can imagine a lot of that. And I have not seen the fulfillment of my imaginations yet. It's time to get our thumb out of our mouths and stop whining and complaining. And it's time to start believing God. It's time to put our big boy or big girl pants on. And it's time to be the church of the living God because he says, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. I don't care what generation you're part of, but it's all generations. And all means all. Forever and ever. Amen. So be it. Am I making sense this morning? I'm talking about being established in his righteousness, specifically this morning, about being established in his love. And his love is a very powerful, powerful, powerful thing. You know, you don't have to turn to it. But in Luke 15, we have the story of the prodigal son. Also known as the lost son. And if you would read the context of it. It starts in chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, where Jesus is hanging out with the publicans and sinners and the, the religious leaders, the scribes and Pharisees and whatnot, deriding him for doing so. They did not like that. And there's a lot of reasons for that. One, in the Jewish culture, we talked about this several weeks ago last year, that a meal with somebody is very, very important. It's like a mini covenant. You'll have to get that in our teaching on, uh, on that. I forget the title now right now. But a meal is very important. But the fact that it was he was receiving and he was interacting with these publicans and sinners and that was taboo according to these religious leaders. And so then Jesus gets into the parable of the lost coin and the parable of the lost sheep and he explains how God rejoices when one sinner comes to repentance. Just as as the, the, the lady would tear her house apart to find that coin and rejoice when, and have to a party when she found that coin, just as the shepherd would lead the 99 to go after the one and rejoice and throw a party when he found his lost sheep, God would rejoice over one sinner. And that's what Jesus was doing, hanging out with these publicans and sinners. But the religious leaders would not have that. They, one, they couldn't even see that perspective. Two, they, they, they already saw the religiosity. I don't know how to pronounce that right. And so we get the parable of the lost son. And it's a beautiful story of God's redemption. And I'm going to uh, uh, talk about that. But the story is really about the, the prodigal brother. The Pharisees that were deriding him for ministering to his brother, the prodigal. And then Jesus gets into some other deeper teachings in Luke 16. And then even Luke 17 where he says, It's impossible that offenses won't come. But what is the they come? He's still addressing the Pharisees for deriding him for ministering to the prodigal. The, the prodigal deserves. Does that make sense? That's the context. That's what that's why Jesus gave the story. But at the same point in time, it's a beautiful story of redemption and righteousness. And when you if you have heard I'm sure you've heard the story many times where the, 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 the prodigal uh, spent his father's inheritance on, on righteous living, on, on, on prodigal living. When he came to his senses, he came back with a, re a rehearsed speech that, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but I'll be your servant. 
And he climbed, and while he was still far off, the father ran to him. The father was looking out for him. The father was waiting. The father was expecting him <clears throat> to come home. And when the father saw him, he ran to him. And there's a beautiful song I remember hearing back in the 90s about how God ran. And God ran to him. He kissed him. He embraced him. He put the robe of righteousness back on his shoulders. He put the, the ring of, of, sonship, uh, of, of authority back on his finger. He put the sandals of sonship. His servants didn't wear sandals. They didn't wear, they didn't wear shoes. The sons did. And he restored him in, as fully as a son and with righteousness. And then he threw a party. Just like the lost coin, just like the lost sheep. And he threw a party just like he was hanging out with the public and the sinners that the, the Pharisees wouldn't have. And then we get the older brother coming home. And he's mad. He's not just mad at his brother for, for, for his lifestyle, his previous lifestyle, and coming home. He's also mad at his father. For showing his brother love, unconditional, unending love. And he wouldn't go in. He wouldn't not only go in and fellowship with his brother, but he wouldn't go fellowship with his dad either. That's the heart of religion. That's what religion will do. And the older brother, I mean, the prodigal thought he was unworthy to be called his son because of everything he'd done wrong. Where the prodigal, I mean, the older brother thought he was worthy to be called his son because of everything he'd done right. And they were both wrong. Our sonship. We started out this morning by saying, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. There's one qualifying factor of why we are called the children of God. And it's not because of what we've done wrong or what we've done right. It's because of His love for us. This is love. Not that we love Him, but that He loved us and became a propitiation. That making sense? And he told the older brother, everything I have is yours. And we talked about that even this morning. It wasn't my main point, but it's still a point that if we have confidence before our Father, whatever we ask, we receive. We just read in Ephesians chapter 3 that when we, have the, when we know his love that surpasses knowledge, we will be filled with the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to exceedingly abundantly more than we can ever ask or think according to his power, his love that is working us. Are you getting the message? And he says in, in, in Romans chapter 8 that he did not spare his own son. How much more will he not also give us all things? Beloved church, God loves us. Stop. We need a fresh revelation. We need a fresh awakening of knowing that our God loves us. He has reconciled us back to God just like the prodigal. And everything we have, he has is ours. And as he is, so are we in this world. We will be like him when we see him as he is. We have, we are part of the family of God. And we have everything God has to do what God has called us to do. To be who God has called us to be. And to go where God has called us to go. Are you hearing this? We are righteous. We are sanctified. We are redeemed by Jesus Christ. We have been justified. And there's nothing holding us back except for our stinking thinking. And it's time to be the children of God. It's time to be the church. Not because of what we've done, but because of what He's done. 
and because of who he is in us. Am I making sense this morning? I'll pick it up here next week. But let me end it with this. Turn over to Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison of those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to cover all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, and to give them beauty for ashes and oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called, what? Trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And they shall rebuild the old ruins, and they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the foreigner shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers, but you shall be named the priests of the Lord. And they shall call you the servants of our God, and they, you shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. Instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion, and therefore in their land they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. There's a lot here, I, and I'm out of time for today to go into the detail about a lot of this. But God... And, if you understand the language here, this is Jubilee language, and that's a whole other teaching I have. But it also goes with the verse that we started this whole series out, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who proclaims God tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation and declares to Zion, your God reigns. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us. We talked a couple of weeks ago how the ministry of the Spirit is a ministry of righteousness. So I believe, I believe, and there's another scripture I can bring out, but I believe that because the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord is also the Spirit of righteousness. And because the Spirit of righteousness is upon us, the Spirit of God is on us. He has anointed us. He has freed us. He has filled us with himself so that he in us can go and set the captives free. Am I making sense this morning? God did not just redeem you for you. Don't be selfish. Praise God he set you free. And don't limit God and let him sanctify and set you free in his, everything he has for you. Don't hold back. Don't resist. Let him restore everything the enemy has stolen. Everything that's been ruined. And we're going to be talking about restoration. How God restores double. Yes, God wants to restore you so you live in that abundant life. But don't just receive the salvation and abundance just so you and your household can be saved. Praise God for that. But God has saved you and God has anointed you because God wants to use you in this generation, in this era, in a, in, in, in a, in a, in a dark, wicked world. God wants to use you. So let Him. You make sense? When we're established in righteousness, when we're established in righteousness, 
We are the head and not the tail. We're above and not beneath. We are the children of God. We are the church of the living God. And we are unstoppable. Am I making sense? Lord, we worship you. <clears throat> we, exalt, we exalt you. We are magnifying you. You said in Psalm 89, in righteousness we shall be exalted. You exalt us in righteousness. And why do you exalt us? You exalt us because you want to bring glory and honor to your name. And you want to set the captives free. We're going to get into this. But Lord, I, I, I pray that what we've learned so far, we're going to we're, we're, help us to process this. Help us to be established in this. Help us to get this revelation and more. Because you are revealing it to us by your word and by your spirit. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, we give you thanks. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. We'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock for a Bible study. And have a great week. God bless you.